are calling 2015 the year of Jesus' church at Journey. And if you haven't already, take those uh, sermon notes out of your bulletin so you can follow along and take some notes today. But we've been studying all year long the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, we spent two weeks and we learned that the message to the church in Acts chapter 1 was get to work for the good of others. We learned as Jesus put the church to work that there were no unimportant people, but everyone had a role in helping God's church be established. We learned in Acts chapter 2 that they were a chosen generation living in the last days, which means that you and I 2,000 years later continue to be a chosen generation living in the laster days or our days moving towards the end. And we saw the impact of sharing in Acts chapter 2 what a group of people can do and what the community sees in a group of people who's willing to share their lives with one another and a group of people who's willing to share their resources for the glory of God. And then last week in Acts chapter 3, we saw the power of a life-changing gift. And it was unbelievable as we saw Peter and John not talk about what they didn't have, but what they did have and the generosity of what they could give and how this healed a man and brought great glory to God. And in Acts chapter 4, as we roll into Acts chapter 4, we see things are going to be different now. I mean, we've watched Peter, we've watched John, we've watched these disciples. Really, we've watched them since early in the book of Matthew. If you've, if you've ever studied the New Testament, we've watched them in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. We've even seen them a little bit in the early chapters of Acts. But beginning in Acts chapter 4, things are different. These are different guys with different energy who are doing different things for the kingdom of God. And as we see them in Acts chapter 4, we realize these ordinary people have changed because of the time they spent with Jesus. And in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22, we see an incredible narrative of the courage of these men and how Jesus impacted them. Remember last week they healed a man who'd been born lame. They're in the temple courts. Everyone's celebrating and rejoicing in the temple courts. We get to Acts chapter 4 and now the people uh, have drawn attention to what Peter and John have done and the rulers of Israel are a little upset. And here's what it says in Acts 4 verse 1. It says the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. This massive church is growing in Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4. Verse 5. The next day, the rulers... The elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter... And John, 
And they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who'd been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Now, here's what you need to understand as we study Acts chapter 4 today. Here's the big idea of the text in Acts chapter 4. Ordinary people who are connected to Jesus do extraordinary things. Ordinary people who get connected to Jesus have the ability to do extraordinary things. And I am as excited to teach you what I've learned this week is I've ever been excited to teach anything at this church because what God has revealed to us in Acts chapter four holds unbelievable truth for every person who's in the room today. As we look at ordinary people connected to an extraordinary savior, here's the first thing we need to see is I was reading through verses one through seven last week and I was just reading the names because I, I, I try to see the story when I read the Bible. I try to picture, especially now that I've spent a little time in Israel, I, I try to picture where they were and what it look like. And I remember the names and the places, what's going on. And as I'm reading through verses one through seven, here's the thought that I'm thinking, number one in your outline, wait a minute, we've seen this scene before. This is not the first time this has happened. I'm reading about the cast of characters in Acts chapter four. And I'm saying, wait a minute, I've been here before. Look at verses one through seven. This time, focus on who's there. Focus on what's going on. It says the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Five were listed right there. Priest, temple guard, Sadducees, Peter and John. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, there's another group of people, the elders, another group, and the teachers of the law, another group, met in Jerusalem, Annas, there's another person, the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, there's another person, John, Alexander, the members of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Look at the cast of characters, and tell me if you've seen this scene before in scripture. The priests were there. The priests were the ministers of Israel. The priests were the only ones who were allowed to serve in the temple, which still stands today as the Temple Mount. It now has the Dome of the Rock on it, a Muslim shrine, uh, versus the temple that would have been there in Jesus' day. But the priests were the only ones who were allowed to go in there and sacrifice daily before, uh, before God. The temple guard was there. The temple guard provided security for the ministry and the ministers and the offering sacrifices that were held at the temple. People would bring their offerings to the temple, and this group of people was responsible to protect the ministers and the ministry and the offering. The Sadducees we see are there in, in number three. The Sadducees were a wealthy group of Jewish leaders who didn't believe in supernatural things. 
They didn't believe in the resurrection. In Luke chapter 20, verse 27, Luke specifically tells us the reason they hated Jesus is because he did and talked about and promised the supernatural. The Sadducees didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in demons. They didn't believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in supernatural. So as you read Acts 4, verses 1 through 2, you see the big problem is not that they healed a man, but that they told people Jesus is raised from the dead. They said, wait, this is going to throw everything off if this really happened. We have an entire class of people, wealthy people, who believe and teach others that there is no resurrection for anyone. This is going to be a problem. We see fourth that Peter was there. Fifth, John was there. Sixth, the rulers were there. The rulers would be the chief priest. They would be the people who were over the priests. They oversaw and enforced the rules of Israel. The elders were there. That was another name given to the Sanhedrin, the 70 basically lawmakers in Israel. They would have been Congress. They were made up of Sadducees, Pharisees, and some priests on there, kind of like we have Republicans, Democrats, and some independents. The teachers of the law were there, according to Acts chapter 4. These are better known as Pharisees. That's the name that we call them. They were experts in Old Testament scripture and how to follow Old Testament scripture. Biblical scholars who served to mentor the younger generations of Israel so they could know and keep the law. Annas was there. Annas was the former high priest. He was the father-in-law of the current high priest. His name was Caiaphas. He was there. I've been to his house. He's the current high priest of Israel in Acts chapter 4. The high priest homies were there. That's just what I call them because we're, we're going to see a bunch of them hanging out in scene one. But here they are. His relatives and his friends were there, some servants of the high priest. And then we see in verse 15 that the Sanhedrin had gathered, a body of 70 religious leaders who created and kept law, religious law in Israel. They were a mixture of Pharisees, Sadducees, rulers, and elders. So this crew came together. And they had to look at each other standing wherever they were standing and think, well, isn't this interesting? Because I think we were just all kind of hanging out in a, in a situation pretty, pretty similar. You see, just months before, this exact same group of people had met in a much different situation. This exact same group of people, 60 to 75 days prior, had met in a very similar situation. Let me take you back to the night of Jesus' arrest before his crucifixion. If you have your Bible, I'm going to have you flip through because I'm going to go fast. But I, I need to set the scene for you so you can see this like Luke, the author of the book of Acts, wants you to see it because it's not by chance that he named exactly who was there. He wants us to connect the dots of what is happening spiritually. In Mark chapter 14, if you have your Bible, flip back to Mark chapter 14, because Mark and Luke and John tell us about the night that Jesus was arrested before he would be tried and before he would be crucified. And they take careful detail to tell us who was there and where they were and what they were talking about. And in Mark 14, 43, I just want you to start circling words. You're going to find our 12 cast of characters. It said, just as he was speaking, Jesus now is praying in the garden of Gethsemane with 11 of his disciples. Judas is left, but here comes Judas again. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the 12, appeared with him. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priest. You know, circle there. there. There they are. And the teachers of the law, circle that. There they are. And the elders, circle that. There, there they are. So we're building our crowd. Look over at verses 53 through 55. They took Jesus to the high priest, circle it. There he is. And all the chief priests, so we see them again, the elders, circle that, there they are. And the teachers of the law, they came together. Peter, circle that, there he is. Followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. 
There he sat with the guards. Circle that. There they are. And he warmed himself at the fire. The chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin. There they are. We're looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any. Flip over to Luke chapter 22, just a few chapters back towards the back of your Bible. Because Luke gives us a description of this evening, and he names some people who were there that evening. Luke chapter 22, verses 52 and 53. I hope as I'm reading these, you're maybe circling or underlining. If, if you can keep up, I know I'm going fast. Jesus, as he was being arrested in Gethsemane, it says he said to the chief priests, there they are, and the officers, and the temple guard, there they are. And the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion? That you've come to me with swords and clubs every day? I was with you in the temple courts, but you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Now flip over to John chapter 18. We kind of put it all together in John 18. And, and, and we read act one or scene one of this group of people hanging out. Here we are, this exact same, same group of people, 60 to, 570, 60 to 75 days earlier. And here's what John 18 says. Now, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and he crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden and he and his disciples went into it. We've just now left the Last Supper and gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priest and the Pharisees. There they are. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and he asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I'm he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Verse 8. Jesus answered, I told you I'm he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happens so the words he had spoken will be fulfilled. I've not lost anyone that you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, and struck the high priest's servant. There's one of the high priest's homies standing right there, cutting off his right ear. His name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I drink? Shall I not drink from the cup that the fathers give me? Then the detachment of soldiers with this commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for all the people. Verse 15. Simon Peter and the other disciple, there's John. You could circle the, other, the words other disciple. John never referred to himself by his name. He just called him the other disciple, the disciple that Jesus loved. So now Peter and John are in the story together. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and he brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I'm not. It was cold, and the servants and the officials, there's the high priest homies right there, the servants and the officials, they stood around a fire. They had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing there with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I spoke openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews came together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask these who heard me. Surely they'll know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded, if I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it saying, I'm not. Then one of the servants, high priest servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. So hang on. Here we are in Acts chapter 4. Peter, John, the priests, the temple guard, the Sadducees, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law, Annas, Caiaphas, the high priest, homies, the Sanhedrin. Here we are in Acts chapter 4. And you know everyone is looking around thinking, now this is awkward. 
you know, um, I remember you, you remember me. I think, I think we just did this, didn't we, a couple months ago? And I read this through in Acts chapter 4, and I thought, holy cow, talk about a sequel. I mean, we have maybe just entered the greatest spiritual sequel given to us in the history of the Bible. I mean, the Terminator's back. It's like the shootout at the OK Corral part two, but this time Peter's gun has bullets. I mean, th- this is showdown part two. Like, this is going down again. And here's the incredible spiritual truth we learned from Acts chapter four. You don't have to be remembered by your worst spiritual moment. Think about how many times before this day in Acts chapter four, Peter had wished he had that moment back the night he betrayed Jesus. Think about how many times he laid in bed and regretted his actions that night and how many times he promised himself, Lord, I promise if you will give me, if you give me one more chance, Lord, if you were to put me in that situation again, Jesus, I promise this time I won't let you down. Think about if you got to take your worst spiritual moment and recreate it and do it differently, would you? Because that's what is happening in Acts chapter 4. Literally the worst spiritual moment that Peter has ever had, God is giving him a second chance at. And here's what you need to understand today moving forward. Regardless of the bad spiritual moments in your past, Jesus wants to give you a second chance to do over. Jesus is all about arranging the pieces in our life so that our bad decisions have the ability to be repented, ask ask him for forgiveness for, and we get a chance to do it over. We get a chance to make it right. And here Peter has a chance to make it right. Peter wouldn't have to suffer forever from his failure. Some of you are in here today and you're wondering if the one really bad spiritual decision you made is going to follow you the rest of your life. And if you're every day going to have to live in regret because of that one bad night that you had, Peter, I'm sure had to wonder that, Lord, am I going to, for the rest of my life, regret this moment or will I ever get a chance to redeem myself? And some of you are thinking, am I every night for the rest of my life going to go to bed regretting this one big thing? And we see in Acts chapter four, Jesus gives you radical second chances. And as one of our men prayed this morning as we were talking through this, radical third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and 100th chances and 1,000th chances. Some of you made a decision last week. Some of you made a decision last year. Some of you made a decision a decade ago that you've kind of been suffering for and wishing that you could correct. If you will lean into following Jesus, he's going to arrange the pieces of your life so that you're going to be able to move forward better. This is what Peter had the opportunity to do. And here's what you need to see. Number two, something was different about Peter this time. Peter was a different cat in Acts chapter four than he was in John chapter 18. I mean, something was different about Peter. The people were the same. The threat was the same. Really, his proximity to Jesus was a little bit worse because Jesus was gone. It seems like in Acts chapter 4, everything is the same as it was on the last night of Jesus' life before his crucifixion, except for Peter. Peter is different. Look at Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. Because we see a different Peter in Acts chapter 4 than we did standing in the high priest of the courtyard saying, no, I don't know him. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, no, I'm not familiar with who you're talking about. That's not the Peter we see in Acts chapter 4. Peter was asking Acts chapter 4, why are you doing this? Who are you talking about? And he was given a chance to kind of get out of this situation by denying anything about Jesus. He didn't do that. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, 
If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, and we're being asked how this man was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. If this would be an email, the next part would be all caps. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. How good do you think it felt for Peter to say that? He had to get to the end of that and say, thank you, Jesus, for another opportunity. Last time he was with these people and he was asked about Jesus, he said, I don't know him. This time he's asked about Jesus and he's like, oh yeah, I do know him. You killed him. You were wrong. God raised him up. Go to hell. Now he didn't say that, but he, but he said this. He said, if you don't put your faith in Jesus, you are going to go to hell. There's no other name given to mankind, but Jesus, by which people must be saved. He had to finish that, fist bump John, give him a chest bump. I mean, this had to be a big moment. Something was different about Peter. Two months earlier, Peter was filled with fear. He's scared to death. On this day, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And man, something happens to ordinary people when Jesus and his spirit start to saturate their soul. You know what I'm talking about? Something happens to ordinary people when Jesus and his spirit begin to saturate their DNA. And I, and I love how Peter responded. Peter said, you're asking me, you're challenging me on an act of kindness. You're, you're challenging me on, on a good thing that happened in all of Israel. This tells us what Peter was saying, that anything done in Jesus' name for the sake of helping put people know Jesus as an act of kindness. Peter said, I healed this guy just because Jesus has a desire to heal people. Jesus has a desire to help people. Jesus would say later, even if you give somebody a cup of cold water in my name, you'll be remembered. The organization in Lee Summit that we support the most is an organization called Cold Water for that very verse. This thought that acts of kindness actually help people know about Jesus. And this is a tremendous reminder as we go through this season, not only learning the book of Acts, but kind of with a focus on, we believe, building a building for our community to use, for our church to use. We need to remember that our gift for a building, it's not just a financial thing. It's not just an act of giving. It's an act of kindness. Anything you give from a cup of cold water to a cup of coffee to healing someone to helping establish a place people can come, your gifts are not just acts of giving. They're acts of kindness. But you have to remove the spirit of fear if you're going to live in a spirit of faith. So the first weekend of August, Danielle and I had the opportunity to travel to Fredericksburg, Virginia. One of our great friends who's preached here at this church, Pastor Daniel Floyd and his church, celebrating their eight-year anniversary. We're getting ready to move into their first facility. And they invited us out to just come celebrate what God had done with them. So we were there with a bunch of friends from our church planning network who have kind of all planted churches together. And they had a speaker in that night. And that was, I was just getting ready to move in. In August, I was taking the month of August to decide whether or not we were going to pull the trigger on taking the next step as a church and building a building. And I was unsure at the time. I was living in a spirit of fear. And if you would have asked me the first eight days of August, I'd say, you know, I think we just need to wait. I don't think we're ready yet. 
And at that event, there was a pastor by the name of Stephen Furtick who came in and spoke that night about what happens when you live in faith. And God gave me that night. I wrote it down on my notes, and it's become, become kind of a, a motto in my life. God told me, spiritually, Christian, you're going to live in faith or you're going to die in fear. At some point, you've got to empty yourself of the fear, and you've got to move forward in faith. You have to live in faith or die in fear. And I thought, Lord, I don't know how to do that. And the Lord said, you've got to stay filled with the Holy Spirit. You've got to stay close to Jesus if you're going to live in faith. So what are some things that fill you with the Holy Spirit? It's interesting what Peter had in Acts chapter 4 that he didn't totally have in Mark 14, Luke, Luke 20-ish, John 18. What was it? Well, he had Jesus' word. He had Jesus' words of what he was going to do after Jesus had resurrected and he had challenged them in the book of Acts, get to work and I'm going to be with you and I'm going to help you. He had Jesus' word and you and I have Jesus' word. How much time did you spend this week in Jesus' word? How many times this week did you open your Bible and and read even a verse or a chapter or a couple chapters? I had a dad in our church who has, I believe, a fifth grade daughter and a third grade son, maybe a second grade son, who texted me this week and said, "Our our family has started a Bible reading challenge together. And we're all trying to read the Bible so many times and we're taking notes. And he said, my fifth grade daughter came up with the whole program and she's the one keeping score. But we're all reading through this ultra competitive family has started this Bible reading challenge to get in Jesus' word. I read that and I thought, this family is going to be closer to the Holy Spirit in Jesus' word than out of Jesus' word. Jesus' church. Being in and around Jesus' church is something that can fill you with the Holy Spirit. Peter had in Acts chapter 4, the church around him, supporting him, praying for him, we'll find out later. He didn't have this in Mark 14, Luke 22, and in John 19. But in Acts 4, he had the power of the church behind him. We see that worshiping Jesus, Jesus' worship is something that fills you with the Holy Spirit. When you get outside of yourself and you begin to praise God for who he is, or you listen to worship music, or you, you kind of begin to digest the words of worship songs, or you actually show up for church on time so that you can worship on, on Sunday morning, Jesus' worship fills you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus' people will fill you with the Holy Spirit. We started small groups this week. One of our greatest weeks of small groups ever. And I promise you, people who are connecting with people spiritually have more of an opportunity to be filled with the Spirit. Prayer fills you with the Spirit. We're going to see that Peter and the disciples in the church learned how to pray, and they prayed for big things. Next week, we actually, as a church, will get on our knees together on the last kind of message of this Difference Maker series. I'm asking our entire church if they're physically able to get on their knees and just spend some time praying that God would move. And then we're going to teach through prayer in our small groups coming, starting at the end of March. And then this attitude of selflessness. This attitude of selflessness that Peter wasn't concerned with what happened to him because he was now living his life more for Jesus than he was for himself. This was huge in what was going on in his life. And Peter's now filled with the Holy Spirit, surrounded with things that would help him be filled and stay filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was a different person and people noticed it. Even their comments, they said, man, this guy is different. And we see number three, that people notice Peter's courage. And they noticed his connection. They noticed his connection to Jesus. Look at verses 13 through 22. It says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that they had been with Jesus. But since they could see standing there the man who'd been healed, there wasn't anything they could say. 
So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do to these men, they said. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign. We can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we can't help speaking about what we've seen and heard. After further threats, they let him go. They couldn't decide how to punish him because all the people were praising God for what had happened for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Here's what we know from 60 days prior to now. Peter's time with the resurrected Jesus had changed him from a scared little boy to a bold preacher. He'd gone from a scared little kid who was approached by a 12 to 14-year-old servant girl in the high priest's courtyard and said, wait, are you friends with Jesus? And he was freaked out by this little girl. And he's like, no, no, I don't know who he is. Being with Jesus had changed him from a scared little boy to a bold preacher. And Peter's, what I, what I call Peter's childish faith, Peter's little boy faith had been rebuked several times. When he got out of the boat and he fell in the water, Jesus is like, oh, you have little faith. Peter was con- constantly speaking up, bordering on big boy faith, and then he would go right back down. One time Jesus was so upset at him, he called him Satan. In Matthew 16, 23, when Peter began to speak up with his little boy faith and he told Jesus, you're, you're never gonna die. I'm not gonna let you die for us. Jesus turned to Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You see, I believe that there's this little boy or this little girl that lives in all of us spiritually, that has in mind the things of the world instead of the things of God. And it brings us in conflict. When, when our spirit says, I need to go this way, that little boy, that little girl, that childish faith in your mind will say, no, you don't need to do that. You don't, you don't need to commit to that. When your spirit says, I'm going to read my Bible more this year than I ever have, the little boy, the little girl in your head says, you don't have time to do that. When your spirit says, I'm going to finally stop this bad habit, that little boy, that little childish voice in your head says, I don't need to do that. And what Peter had learned and what you and I need to learn is it's time to tell the little boy to get behind you spiritually. It's time to say to the little kid that lives within your faith, that constantly comes against the things God wants to do in you, it's finally time to tell that childish part of your faith, get behind me, I'm moving forward. And all of us have a picture of our childish faith. When I was showing my story, I realized that they had inserted in the story a picture of me when I was six. I think they've got that picture of me when I was six years old. There's me as a little boy. Clearly, I lived in a place that they didn't have scissors. (laughs) Or my mom and dad like really liked Star Wars and had kind of a Princess Leia thing going on over my ear. I'm not not sure. But that that little boy, that little boy knew Jesus. Because at six, I prayed and said yes to Jesus. But to let that little boy who knows Jesus make my decisions for me spiritually now would be insane. That little boy wants me to stay offended at people when they hurt my feelings. That little boy wants me to complain about how hard living for Jesus is. That that little boy wants me to give less than I want to give. That little boy convinces me that I don't have to change my life the way the Bible says it changed. That little boy is constantly in my head. When God says move, that little boy is constantly saying, do we really have to do this? He's just a kid. 
And he knows Jesus, but he's not spent as much time with Jesus as I have spent now. But, he, but he's always in my head. And some of you have some earmuffed-haired little kid sitting in, sitting, in your, sitting in your head, sitting in your heart. And every time God challenges you to move spiritually, that little voice says, no, not yet. Every time God says, forgive and forget, you say, but Lord, they hurt me so bad. Every time God says, just, pray, just give me 40 days in the word and on your knees, you say, that's too long. God says, give, and you say, I can't give that much. I'll be honest with you, that little boy made my first commitment to the building, a very safe commitment to the building. And God said, Christian, are you going to listen to the little kid? Or are you going to step out and live in faith? And Daniel and I prayed, and we said, you know what? We, we let the kid make this decision. Met with a pastor last week who's a church planner in this city who's just a year behind us. He said, man, I'm realizing in church planning more than I ever have in my life. I've got to put my big boy pants on sometimes and just move forward. There's some of you in here spiritually that need to put your big boy pants on and tell, tell the kid to get behind you spiritually. Because you've been committing to read your Bible for a long time and you never have. You've been committing to pray for a long time and you never have. You've been committing to give for a long time and you never have. You've been committing to stop that bad habit for a long time and you haven't. It's time to tell the kid, get behind me, Satan. I'm moving forward. Peter had grown up. His connection to Jesus has radically changed him. And in Acts chapter 4, here's what we see. When we live with a connection to Jesus... When we live with the courage that comes from the connection to Jesus, here's what's going to happen. People are going to see the results of our faith. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they would have liked to have removed Peter and John. But they said, clearly, they've healed the guy. We would like to deny what's happening, but we can't. We see the results of their faith. Number two, people won't be able to deny that God is working. They may not like it. They may not agree with it. They may not want to promote it, but they're going to get together behind closed doors and say, you know what? We really hate what's going on here, but what are we going to do? Clearly, it's happening. Number three, everybody will talk about the impact that Jesus is making when a group of people get together and they tell the, the little kid to get behind them and they start living in a mature, courageous faith. Man, God begins to have tremendous impact. And number four, people are drawn to God through ordinary people. Connected to an extraordinary Savior, people are drawn to God. So back to today's big idea. Ordinary people who are connected to Jesus do extraordinary things. You and I are ordinary. We're unschooled compared to so many spiritually. But if we spend time with Jesus, unbelievable things could happen in our life. But you have to tell the little boy to get behind you spiritually and you've got to be willing to commit to a life of spending time with Jesus. Now as a church, we're trying to take a big boy step of providing a building for our church and for our community. We've got a building design. We had the greatest meeting in the six-month process last Monday when we got all the preliminary cost estimate back for the building that we really felt that we needed. And it was right in line with what we were trying to do. The, uh, the meeting I have feared for six months went well, and we said, let's keep moving forward. We're establishing all kinds of now color renditions and inside stuff that we can actually show you that we know now we can afford if we hit our project goal. So we've got a, a dream to build this $4 million building. We're trying to raise a million dollars as a church. We said before we started this series, January 11th, 812,000 have currently been pledged. We needed a final push of $188,000. 
say, what's, what's the plan for accomplishing this? We're asking God to speak to people in our church to give. And some of you, God has spoken to and said help. And you're saying, okay, how, how do I help? I've said this every week. I'll say it for two more weeks. And then on March 1, we'll have our commitment Sunday. And on March 8, we'll have celebration Sunday. And we'll, we'll talk about what God has done. But we're asking our people to give a special gift in addition to your normal giving to help us build a building. It's an act of kindness, not just an act of giving. An act of kindness for people in our community to know Jesus. We're asking you to give generously and sacrificially. And to pray about what you can give between now and August 1, 2016. Although they told me, Christian, if there's good weather and everything goes smooth, you could actually be in by April of 2016. I said, don't go that fast. I don't think I'll have all the money yet. I think I need till August. And they just laughed. And they said, we think if your people have the option of doing 90 more days of set up, tear down, or giving three months early, that you'll be okay. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how that'll work, but we're going to tell them, just build it as fast as you can. We're asking people to make that pledge and to bring... The first part of that on Sunday, March 1, you've got a commitment card in your bulletin. If you're brand new to this and you're saying, how does this work? You can grab this while I walk over this. If, if you've been here for six or seven weeks, you're bored by this point of the message. And many of you have already made this. We're saying if your total pledge is $1,000, I give $1,000 above my normal giving between now and August 1 of 2016. First fruit offering is I can bring 100 of that $1,000 by March 1 on March 1 to give my first part to the building you fill this out, you put it in an offering envelope, and either today or Feb 15, or today or Feb 22 or March 1st, you throw that in the bulletin, and we go. And here's what we have to trust, all of us together. We have to trust that our act of kindness in giving to build a building for our church and our community will, not might, but it will result in people being healed spiritually. Peter and John were standing there with a man who had been healed spiritually. Nobody could deny it. And we have to, if we live in faith and live in courage, we have to believe that if we as an organization, as a church, move forward, we have to believe that people will be healed spiritually. Not because of us, but because of Jesus who we've spent time with. And one of the greatest ways you can spend time with Jesus, according to Jesus, is by observing the Lord's Supper. So as we get ready to close today's service and we encourage and we challenge everyone in here to leave and to push into connecting to Jesus, to put on your big boy pants, to tell the little kid that says you can't make a spiritual commitment to get behind you, we're going to ask you as we ask you to move into connecting with Jesus to spend a few moments in prayer and in solitude today as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. And just to talk through what's going on in your head spiritually. Maybe today you need to talk through the, the fact that you've made a bunch of commitments that you've never been able to keep spiritually, but you want to connect to Jesus in a more powerful way this year than you ever have before. Maybe you want to pray for a friend or a family member who you've seen get so disconnected from Jesus that their life is now kind of falling to pieces. Or you want to pray for a spouse that you're praying will come to know Jesus. Or, or maybe you're wrestling through what God wants you to do with this building gift. I know anyone who stepped forward to give is having a faith battle of trying to figure out, God, what are you saying? God, what am I saying? God, do I have enough? God, how do I live in faith? As we get ready to connect to Jesus, I think some of our musicians are gonna come and just begin praying, playing quietly. Would you just kind of bow your heads and close your eyes where you are?